0: This is Damon yeah, Albarn, you and like you're listening hair? to Hallelujah Monkeys, the number one gorillas podcast in the world. Hello, and welcome to Hallelujah Monkeys for March 26, 2021.
1: My name is Dylan Flynn. My name is Trevor Ickrath. Dylan, this feels so special. This is such a special occasion.
0: There's got to be a special stone or or material, right?
1: Oh yeah, uh, for the kind of anniversary that we're going to be celebrating.
0: And in fact, it is the Platinum. The
1: Platinum Anniversary. The Platinum Anniversary. We'll get into what we're talking about in just a second. But first, I want to just let everybody down and say that What we're celebrating the anniversary of is not the actual anniversary Gorillas thing. We're not doing the We Are 10 thing yet. As you could tell by the title of this episode.
0: We swore last time we were finally going to fucking do it.
1: People have been begging for it for some reason for years now. And we said we were finally going to sit down and talk about We Are 10. But first, we have something I would say even more important to discuss.
0: I agree. Is this going to turn into like a Lucy with a football thing, though? Are we going to keep saying we're going to do it and then... At that last second, pull it away. Is that what this is? It
1: might be a good way to, like, retain listenership over the next couple mm, years. Maybe we can lock it behind a certain, like, paywall of the Patreon or
0: something eventually. Uh, but no, motherfuckers. It's the 20th anniversary of the first Gorillaz album. That's why we're here. Yeah, and we got to talk about that. That does not
1: happen every day it
0: only happens once every 20 years yeah and in another 20 years it won't happen then no, because then it'll be the 40th yeah and who knows
1: what anniversary that is dylan check please uh... <laughs> it's okay you don't have to let's get the show on the road though because i'm super stoked to do this i've been really looking forward to recording this new review with you oh we haven't even said what we're going to be doing have we ruby
0: ruby anniversary okay. anyway this is going to be a-, a new series We're calling it Rehashed. Back in the day, when we were brand new podcasters, uh, the very first thing we did was review all the Gorillaz
1: records. Our review of the first Gorillaz self-titled was our second ever episode, and
0: I meant to have the date on which we released that in front of me. Let me look that up. It was around this time in 2017. It wasn't long after, because we released the first one uh, on March 26th of 2017, I believe.
1: That's right, so we're... Pretty much celebrating the 20th anniversary of our second episode, as far as I'm concerned.
0: (laughs) Sure, math, who gives a shit? But the thing is, is you go back and listen to those episodes, they're a little bit rough, Trevor. We were still finding our footing. Can you blame us? And the metric, and just like, it just feels like there were boxes that needed to be checked that didn't get checked. And so this is kind of an opportunity for us to do that. There's another wrinkle to it, though, which I feel like we should hold back for a little bit.
1: Yeah, I agree. So let's, before we get into our re-review of the Gorilla Subtitled, let's do what we always do at this point in the show, and talk about the news. It's
2: good news now.
0: Before gazing into the past, one, one must look into the future. Okay, so. One must do that. Here's what we have. The alternate version of the Valley of the Pagans video, Trevor, was re-uploaded to YouTube. So how, it's back! How how exciting, that we get
1: to follow up on what was easily the most controversial event in the Gorillas fan community, since I don't even know when.
0: Yeah, so they put up this new version of it. It no longer has Grand Theft Auto footage in it, which you may be wondering, okay, is it <laughs> 35 seconds long then what they replace it with uh okay so you still got all of the in car shots all of uh-huh. the shots of the band animated inside the the pagan that that car that looks a little bit like the stylo
1: they always name the cars
0: now the beck verses feature the footage of him used for his quote-unquote hologram from the live uh stream okay and then in between, you've got this kind of purple psychedelic uh, CGI highway footage of the pagan kind of roaring down the road. It really makes it feel more like the nineteen two thousand video than ever.
1: Very groovy. And I presume that everybody loves this video now. It has rightfully taken its place as everybody's favorite.
0: I've seen some people say it's an improvement yeah. on the GTA Five One. I've seen some talk about that. I don't know. I mean, what do you got if you don't got Jamie Hewlett's sick GTA skills? <laughs> it does feel like we've lost something there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it does end with the Pagan being sucked through that portal and, and ending up on Plastic Beach. So the story is now complete again.
1: All right. Speaking, speaking of what we've lost, let's talk about another loss that the Gorillaz community recently suffered. Uh, Tony Allen, mm. a posthumous album from that guy has been announced called There Is No End.
0: The loss of Tony Allen, at least as bitter as uh, the loss of the GTA 5 footage in the music video. Definitely. Uh, So this is the first big Tony Allen estate release. Uh, It comes out on the 30th of April. Now, here's where things get interesting via VR podcast. Okay. The first single was shared, uh, Cosmosis, which, uh, which features... Not only Tony Allen, also fellow circle of friend Skepta uh, from How Far on, on Song Machine. But uh, co-production credits from Damon Albarn and Remy Kabaka on nice. that track, Trevor.
1: So this is pretty much... This would have qualified for that old season we did of, like, Gorilla's albums that aren't really Gorilla's albums.
0: I think so. Well, here's the thing. We don't have the full production credits mm-hmm. for There Is No End yet. So for all we know, like... Damon and Rebby could could be all over this thing for production. Yeah, I kind of got the impression from
1: what I'd read that they were producing the entire album, but maybe that was just hopeful thinking on my part.
0: I think, I think we all kind of are crossing our fingers, but it's a chance, to, of course, that this is just going to be like stuff sitting around the Tony Allen archive, kind of put together by his family to put something out, you mm-hmm. know? I'm looking forward to it, though. So this brings us to our final and most important news story. Easily the most exciting one. Uh, we mentioned, of course, that a little album we all love is having a special birthday. In celebration of the 20th anniversary of the self-titled Gorillas album, the legendary Gorillas vs. Log S mashup project is releasing sort of a compilation of... Of all the great phase one mashups that have come, this has got to be by now. I am I being hyperbolic, Trevor, if I say Gorillas versus Log S is the longest running Gorillas fan project. I think it just might be. Yeah. I certainly remember
1: listening to those mashups a lot back in the day. Like I can't count like the number of songs and artists that I like only originally discovered through this project. Like Aphex Twin. To like, uh, new hobbies. Lots of stuff that I got out of this, out of these tracks.
0: Formative, listen, for yeah. a young Trevor Ickrat. I, I'm trying to wreck my brain when that first one dropped, and I think the only thing we can do to answer that question is to bring the man in himself, the Log S of Gorillas versus Log S. Jack, welcome to Hallelujah Monkey.
2: Jack, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't know you were doing an episode today. I thought we were just, uh out
0: oh yeah sorry no we had to lure you in with a bro sesh and now you're gonna be forced to talk gorillas for sometimes like two fucking hours sometimes it really goes off the rails it's interesting that you said
1: lured him in because like i know we've played plenty of log music on the program in the past and like jack i've met you in person before but it really does feel like we have like a have like a little cryptid on camera now or something, having him on the program.
2: Man, I I've slept I've slept on your uh literally slept on your floor before, so we're uh, you were within mere feet of me when I met Damon Auburn for the first time. Yeah, mere feet of mere feet of you and uh, the Oasis vinyl that you tried to get him <laughs> to sign, thinking that was a great idea. Oh yeah. Everyone knows that story.
0: <laughs> Help me on this one, Jack. When was the first Gorillas versus Lagos uh released, do you know?
2: I actually, I think it actually predated uh, Gorillaz actually forming. That was uh, <laughs> that was like 97. You just had that little mailer they sent out to people <laughs> on the Blur fan list to let
0: them know that the Tomorrow Comes Today video was coming?
2: I sent it to uh, Vico's Blur page. I was like, hey, don't ask me why, but I think this this sounds like something Damon Albarn's going to do. I just kind of... You know,
1: shout
0: out to Vico's
1: Vico's Blur page. page, of course, the long-running Blair fan site that's been active since the seventies. Right. Yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm not even sure your 20-year-old fans would get that reference, but so be it. Yeah, potentially not. We're here to alienate motherfuckers
0: because this is a this is an episode to celebrate gorillas' old asses. This one's you know for the fucking mean? old heads. You know what I mean? Like, it just feels like there's a discomfort at times that we're this fandom where children must coexist among. Pushing thirty-five-year-old men, and uh, <laughs> and it's just nice every now and then to really wall up. You know, get behind that velvet rope, say, sorry, babes, none of y'all can come in here. I love to stand in front of a gate. So, Jack, tell me about what's happening here. You've got something coming out. It's called uh, Gorilla's Self-Titled 20th Anniversary Celebration versus Log S. This is like a, it's kind of like a greatest hits compilation, right?
2: It's it's really, it's geared toward like all the stuff that I've done that's like phase one related, which, uh, believe it or not, is quite a bit by this point. Considering I I, uh, I did the whole gorillas versus August thing well beyond when I when I thought I was gonna not do it it's honestly about as long as the actual gorillas self titled but it's all just uh, remixes I don't I don't call them mashups I thought I thought uh, I thought I thought my people had told your people about the the M word but I guess not
0: are you gonna Billy Bob Thornton this interview and then <laughs> fucking get up and walk out
2: whatever whatever you want to call it really because like you know fifteen year old me working with whatever primitive. Uh, 05 software I had, I mean, that was, I was, I was mashing up, you know, I was, I was remixing, what but were you, what some, were you even, yeah, were what on, like, were those original remixes built on? Fruity loops or something? Uh, I don't even remember by this point. I, I was, I was definitely learning what I was doing as I was doing them. And so there's, you know, there's quite a few like unlistenable things that come out of that. But, uh, I can proudly say that, that everything <laughs> I present on this, this 20th anniversary thing is, uh, quote unquote, listenable.
0: Okay, when when does this come out and how do the people get their hands on it? Of course, this episode will be out uh on March 26th, the uh
2: the day of the anniversary itself. Uh, I was I was going to put it on uh YouTube and then have a download link in classic Guerrillas versus Logas fashion. Uh, I have an account Mouse Marola and uh that's that's been getting a lot of uh new gorilla specific fans because of a video i made like three years ago it's uh it's i think it's like a six second clip of uh the you know the, the peppermint tea the peppermint tea thing except i, yeah. I redid it in house. like a very obnoxiously american accent and uh some sometime over the past like month i've been getting every day like five comments on the thing I love it. Get yeah, viral. Yeah, it sounds
1: like you're really in a position to capitalize on that kind of Fuck thing. Fuck yeah.
0: You should be taking the hookiest moments of this whole project and trying to force them to become fucking TikTok memes. That's how you get rich. I'm I'm scheming. This brings us to the other wrinkle in the rehashed series. Let's iron it out. So if you and I were to just re-review these records, that feels like it would be a little too slight. It'd be so fucking boring. Oh my god. We kind of done it. Been
1: there, done that, bought the peppermint t-shirt.
0: But what if we got prominent members of the the Gorillas fan community family to review them with us? I like where your head's at, but I would only be interested in doing
1: that if like for example the album we were to be talking about was that person's like favorite gorillas album
0: well let's just check real quick uh jack aka logass what's your favorite gorillas album
2: i'm really partial to the fall actually <laughs> oh you fucker you motherfucker <laughs> i don't know what y'all's uh, preconceived notions were but yeah i'm really a fall guy these days
0: uh huh. all right well you want to shift gears and do the fall today what do you think about the self-titled
2: jack getting involved in the, the gorillas community as I have has, has definitely been a, a mixed bag. And this the self titled is uh wholeheartedly at fault slash you know happily responsible for that. I think a mixed
0: bag is a good way to describe this record. Do you guys want to get into the rehashed round table? No oh, Let's yeah. rehash it. Oh. Oh, it's good to be back reviewing Gorilla's records on Hallelujah Monkeys. I mean, it has not been that long since we talked about Song Machine, but it's been a minute. It's been a minute, and it's always going to be back. What do? You, yeah. What were you, Trevor, going into this? Were you like, did have we said it all? How am I gonna? How am I gonna think of anything else to say about this record?
1: I really didn't know what I was going to say about this record because I feel like even when you and I sat down to talk about it for the first time we didn't have a ton to say. And maybe you can attribute that to us just being novice podcasters, or maybe you can attribute it to this being a little bit of an impenetrable album. But either way, I was kind of intimidated to be going back to it. And I really felt like I needed to step up to the occasion and actually like figure out how I feel about this record and find out what I want to say about it.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I've been having a, a, interesting experience with that record this year, because knowing that this episode was coming up, I've been kind of putting it to work in my life, you Mm -hmm. know. I've been cleaning the house to it. I've been cooking dinner to it. I've been going on errands to it. Just because, you know, when you when when a record is being forced to uh, work for you in that way, you really get to know its peaks and valleys. You know what I mean? Totally. And I have found. New impressions bubbling up to the surface from the last time we discussed this record together. I feel ready to do it. Uh, what about you, Jack? Did you did you sit down with this record in recent times, or are you just going like straight from the bank?
2: I I honestly I thought about it, and this this record really is like pretty firmly ingrained in my being. So uh, if if anything like re-listening to it right now would probably be a disservice, but I've definitely listened to it like in. You know, this year. It's almost like we're asking you to review a part of yourself today. Yeah, something like that.
0: Uh, What do you give yourself on a scale of 1 to 10 in general?
2: What do I give myself or the album? Yeah,
0: just as a person. You think you're like (sighs) an 8?
2: I'm a a hard 3. Sick.
0: Put us all together and add Trevor's 0 and you got 13. One of my favorite blur records. Well, only if you're putting a 1 in front of that (laughs) 0.
1: Let's be real.
0: Uh, we like to do something on this uh, on this show. We call it Tiz. That is patent pending. Please don't use that out in the wild. That's all. We hadn't come up with
1: that word the first time we uh, reviewed this album, though. And in fact, listening back to that episode, which I did in preparation for this, unfortunately, you didn't even like brief me on the whole like three words thing. You just came in hot with that and like didn't even give me a chance to get ready.
0: Yeah, it didn't occur to me that it would be a segment. It was just something that started to come to my mind as I listened to the record. I think
1: you just wanted to show me up.
0: And I listened to that episode, and, uh, and I felt like my mind fell a little short. So I redid them entirely. You've rehashed them. I've rehashed them. I have different gorillas this time. This will be your first gorillatives for the record. Should we start with you, Trevor?
1: Sure. All of mine, I feel like, are, represent stuff that we'll get into throughout the episode, but my gorillatives are exploratory, inspired, and this one's hyphenated, so maybe it's cheating a little bit, but free-spirited.
0: Ooh, free-spirited. I like that. Yeah, for sure. This is the hippy-dippy gorillas album, isn't it?
2: A little bit.
0: Um, Jack, you being our guest, would you like to go next with your Gorillatives?
2: Sure. Uh, actually, I really liked Trevor's. I'm, I'm kind of surprised, uh, there weren't any like kind of crossroads there with mine. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit on the same page and I also came up with five. I don't know if, <laughs> if I should just pick three of them right now or just. Why don't you give us the three best and then at the end, give us the also Rams. And we can decide if you should have gone with those instead. Yeah. Okay, well, actually, one of them is going to be uh, what I misread it as just now as I looked at it. Um, dense, intergalactic, and orgasmic.
0: Ooh. Very exciting. <laughs> Give me those other two. Which ones got cut?
2: Well, uh, orgasmic was, was supposed to be organic, but then when I, when I misread it, it's like, well, I've got to go with orgasmic. And uh, yeah, the, the other two was mysterious and multifaceted. I think he made the right cuts. I like the ones he had
0: better. I think
1: I'm looking, de- I'm looking forward to getting into like intergalactic. That's very enticing.
0: Planetary. Mine, here are mine. I'm gonna do the same uh Trevor Aircraft move and cheat with a hyphenate, in it, but I'm gonna start that way. Neo millennial. Mm. That's my first one. <laughs> my second one is patchy. Oh. I think it's a bit okay. it a little okay. patchy.
1: See, on, your, on the first one, you end with consistent, which I feel like is the opposite of what you're saying now. I know. So what is the truth?
0: The Dylan Flynn who sits before you now has a monopoly on the truth in comparison to the Dylan Flynn of four years ago. And finally, last but not least, unrecognizable Trevor wow. and Jack. Wow. It's dramatic. This record is the work of a man, Damon Albarn, who went behind a veil and came out the other side transformed. You know, look at what he'd put out so far. He did Leisure. He did uh, Modern Life is Rubbish, Park Life, The Blur Self-Titled, The Great Escaped. He did 13. He did that one soundtrack for that movie that I've still never seen. Look at all that stuff. I don't think you can see this record coming. I don't think you knew that our boy was such a fucking weed smoking dub boy, you know?
1: I'm really excited that you're talking about all of this because while preparing for this episode, I thought a lot about this record in relation to Damon Auburn's career. And I'd like to talk about that a little more right now as I like set something up that I'm gonna be doing throughout the episode, if you'll let me. Please do. So this is the first girl's album is like an interesting one for me because whenever I return to it after an extended period of like not spending a lot of time with it I find myself honing in on a different element of it like when we reviewed it back in the day on the second episode what fascinated me the most back then was thinking about Damon and Dan the Automator and the other musicians responsible for this album, figuring out what they wanted the fictional band to sound like, right? And, like, getting all these Mm -hmm. samples and figuring out the music. This time, though, I was kind of more interested in looking at this album purely as, like, a Damon Auburn record. Because, like, you need to remember, like you were saying, The Grill is self-titled. It occupies, like, a really unique space in Damon's career. He pretty much did everything he possibly could to like convince everyone that it wasn't a Damon Auburn solo album, but it's Mm -hmm. still like the first collection of original material that he released by himself. It was his first opportunity to like really create his own musical sandbox to play in away from Blur, where he could call all the shots, at least musically, and really like follow his bliss. And I think the resulting product paints like a really vivid picture of, like, a hyper-creative artist who has kind of grown tired of the career he's established for himself, and he's really interested in breaking out of his lane and trying something a little crazier with this one. And uh, to touch on, like, one of your other gorillatives, the neo-millennial one, I know, like, 9-11 is, like, frequently one of the things that we talk about when we talk about gorillas, but there really is something so, like, quintessentially pre-9-11 about Damon's attitude on this album. Like, as far as he's concerned... It's a new millennium, and it's time for something different, and that something different is gorillas.
0: And it still has access to these millennial cusp elements. Like, the 90s bounce is still very much there. Totally. The, the fusion of turntablism is still very much there. Yep. But it doesn't read as sort of saccharine. As a fucking bare naked ladies record does, it has a little bit of darkness in there. I'm
1: I'm glad you brought up bare naked ladies on this episode too, because I hope you remember we touched on them in the original review.
0: <laughs> Anyways, in
1: the process of digging into this album from like that perspective I found myself doing something I'd never really done with this record before, which was like sitting down with the lyrics and really trying to figure out what these songs are about.
0: Wow. Like, the
1: self titled frequently feels like the least discussed Gorillaz album, which is kind of understandable because, like, musically, it doesn't have a clear concept or like a narrative it's trying to walk you through. And lyrically, I feel like it's been almost completely disregarded by fans because, like, both because of how impressionistic the lyrics are and because we know that Damon wrote it like strictly adhering to the whole uh first thought best thought philosophy that he's such a fan of mm-hmm. but but just because Damon wasn't like intentionally expressing things doesn't mean that there isn't meaning in the words that ended up coming out of him and I don't see why digging into the album's lyrics to see what kind of impression they give of what Damon's like subconscious headspace was like during the recording process I don't see why that can't just be like just as interesting as decoding the environmental messages in Plastic Beach. So as we go through the album track by track, I will be submitting for your approval my own personal interpretation of what each of these
0: songs are "quote unquote" about, and I will be submitting for your approval a counterpoint of what these songs are about from a slightly different perspective. Which we'll I'm,
1: we briefly discussed this, and I'm looking forward this to this too. Do you want to? Do you want to see what you're going to be doing?
0: No, I'll just hold it for when, okay. I, when we get there.
1: I had a, I had a really good time like digging into the lyrics and doing this, too. Uh, me, too. Like, when I when was too. done, I was pretty surprised to find out how many of these songs felt like they actually provided what seemed like pretty decent insight into the inner workings of damon auburn circa the year 2000 like some of the lyrics feel like they're about his established career with blur while others feel like they reflect his attitudes towards the turn of the millennium and some even feel like they're about getting the gorillas project off the ground and how excited he was to be doing it
0: mm, like a proto humility yeah a little bit it's all stuff i'm like really excited to be talking to you about as we go through the album Jack, are you going to be hitting us with any galaxy brain fan theories today, or are you just going to be taking it easy and keeping it sleazy and hitting us with some
2: some Jack takes? Like regarding the lyrics of this album, and I guess just like Damon's whole like mind state, one of the things that I always loved about this, and I mean especially in retrospect, is like he seems to completely let go. That plays in a little bit to the intergalactic thing. I mean, it's not exactly what I meant by that, but like a a lot of the lyrics are almost. as if somebody from a, another planet is like interpreting life and language that we have and just sending it back with something that like kind of makes sense if you're not really paying attention but then if you look into it a little bit more it's like oh my what what does this mean and wh- why does it work so well
0: intergalactic
2: intergalactic indeed i love it sick
0: awesome i think that's a great uh place setting i have my salad fork my dinner fork uh and then a third impossibly tiny fork what could it could possibly be for but that means we're ready to get into this track by track
1: let's dig in starting with the song that we've titled this entire retrospective series after rehash
0: i'm giving a prerequisite uh Beat of Time. In case anybody would like to claim rehash as one of their three favorite songs on this record,
1: it almost made it there for me. This is one that I enjoy a lot, and I, I still think very highly of it whenever I return to the album.
2: As much as I love this one, uh, it's it's never been in my top five on this one. It
1: might might be my top five. Mainly, I just I think it's a great opening track, and I think it's a perfect way to kick off the Gorillas project. It's kind of like a like a cool little microcosm of the entire album like it starts out kind of inauspiciously right like it initially gives you the impression that it might just be a fairly straightforward acoustic guitar driven alt-rock tune which it kind of is but once the like sitar and the harpsichord eventually pop up you kind of get the impression that like anything can happen which pretty much becomes a rule to live by for the rest of the album's runtime
0: definitely i also find this to be Maybe the easiest song in the entire catalog to visualize the animated band performing. I can see them all behind their their instruments uh, banging this one out. Uh, and, and to that point, should we get into our lyrical analysis, Trevor? Sure. I have just like a pretty quick thing to say about this
1: one. Uh, it ties into what a fitting opener I think this is for the project in general. But uh, I think this song is about the beginning of a second act, going back to basics to rethink and relearn Everything you thought you already knew how to do, and as a result, rediscovering the same sense of excitement you experienced the first time around. I could see
0: it. That's in there. I can read that. <clears throat> I think on the uh, counterpoint, I think 2D wrote these lyrics, Trevor, and I think he did it based on on Murdoch's description of the gorilla's sound when the band was meeting with Parlophone to be signed to Parlophone. Uh, You know, describing 2D as, you know, kind of a drugstore soul boy. And then the sound in general is uh, like a sweet sensation over a dark dubby foundation. (laughs) And and then you just kind of translate that Murdoch buzz speak into lyrics and you got rehash. It was a pretty good Murdoch impression and I think a pretty good take on the song. (laughs) It also kind of describes itself, a sweet sensation over the dub, because you got that bass, and then like this bubblegum stuff happened on top of it.
1: Yeah, uh, Damon just really is not mincing words or vibes here, I think. He comes right out of the gate, kind of giving you a good idea of what the project is going to sound like. He really hit the nail on the head like with this first track out, I think.
0: It's, it's you know, th- we already made one zombie hip-hop joke uh, on this episode. Famously, that was kind of like the bespoke music genre that Damon and Jamie were floating around in Phase 1. Were they doing it in Phase 2, or were they kind of done with it? I, th- I
1: don't remember it popping up in Phase 2. Maybe there was a, a dark pop here or there in Phase 2. But I
0: think that what the bespoke genre of this record really is i really see this as as like like an appendix that grew off of the trip-hop movement and i see this as really this record could be almost flatly described as a bubblegum trip-hop record it's yeah that
1: feels very accurate to me if there was a pre-existing genre that i had to kind of hammer the first gorillas album into i think the whole that it would be easiest to do that with would be the trip hop one.
2: I, I think I think this is a track that has like probably one of the most misheard gorillas lyrics with uh it's the and it, like even just thinking about it now I honestly couldn't tell you with 100% certainty if it's uh money as dub or, or money, money or, or stop. stop.
0: Yeah.
2: I've always heard money or stop. I sometimes hear it's the money as dub,
0: but it's very Yanny Laurel like phenomenon. I feel
1: phase one had to be the golden era of misheard gorillas lines, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were just—it's what gave us uh, "Santa just told a lie" from
0: Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> love Miho here. Miho doing the backing vocals really sugarcoats this whole thing and gives it its flavor.
1: Oh yeah, it can't be uh, like overstated enough. I mean, it, I guess it can't be overstated period. Uh, just like how essential and like what how much weight the supporting cast is pulling on this record like i'm gonna spend a lot of the episode talking about like damon specifically but like mio Atori, kid koala dan the automator junior dan they're all so essential to like why this is such a great album i think
2: totally i just i have one more question before we move on from this one how much did the old kong studios tape machine slash remix machine impact your uh, appreciation for this song oh
0: massively this and yeah. then later you remember how you could fuck around with the uh the the space monkeys one in the in the garage. Both of them were like huge. It was so cool to play with stems. Like that was so dope.
2: Yeah, no, I mean that that that's that's got to be one of my most like visited uh, websites of the two thousands.
0: It's a shame that that shit isn't archived officially.
2: I don't know if I could emotionally handle revisiting that first Kong website by now. Yeah, if I if I ever made it back to the second one, I would like break down in weep. Yeah.
0: Okay, what do you think, guys? Are we ready to talk about 5-4?
1: Another one that isn't in my top three or anything, but like still a very solid track, especially here in like the second
2: slot of the record. Yeah, not uh, not a top three for me either, but I I really love this track. Even even something as simple as the fact that it's just a track in five four, as pretentious as a lot of tracks that would probably take on this time signature might tend to be, this somehow uh, ends up being not at all pretentious and like it's just purely just. You can tell Damon was probably just like fuck it 5-4 that's a really good point
1: this is like the most down-to-earth song in an unconventional
2: time signature I've ever heard it's
0: the most like knucklehead take on a 5-4 yeah. ever too you just got that guitar wow, 2 3 and then the drums are just going bish
1: it's like he's not playing it intentionally like that to be artsy. It's like he's just, like, out of time.
0: This is not really in any threat to crack my top three. I got. I, I feel like there's stuff about this song I really like and stuff about this song that feels like the, some of the most exceptionally dated stuff on the record to me.
1: Yeah, it's towards the more disposable end of the material, I think. But still, one that I enjoy a lot and just to, like get into the analysis thing a little bit i think this is another one that like like rehash kind of sounds simple on paper but like we've said it's cool to see that even on the band's more basic rock songs damon was all damon was already like doing artsy stuff like messing with unconventional time signatures and i think that's a good way to illustrate that like even though gorillas looks and sounds like a pop band they're definitely going to be like intentionally out of step with what you'd usually expect to get from such a group. And I think that's what I, I, that's, that's what I think the song is about in general, like not fitting in, but utilizing what makes you different as a strength.
0: Yeah, I could see that. I guess on the other side of it though, like in my opinion, this song is about, uh, a young Stuart pot with his father, David pot going to see the circus when it came through his hometown of Crawley. And Stu was just blown away by the magician, uh, but the night took a turn because later he caught his dad cheating on his mom, Rachel Pot, uh, with the bearded lady.
1: So, so it's really quite tragic when, when you when you dig into it.
2: Yeah, I mean, she made him kill himself. She made me kill myself. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, I don't know if it was 11 year old me creeping up and trying to get an opinion in, but uh, I I almost put that in my moments. That that just that one acapella <laughs> part. Just something about it. Like it's such a def- it's such a. Uh, I don't want to say defining moment, but it, it's it's a moment, you know.
0: It's almost like the entirety of Clover Over Dover plays in that one second, you know. <laughs> it is exactly like that. I do like this 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 drum sound. This bish bosh drum sound is like so big and so dumb. And it's a big, dumb song, and, like, the dumber it sounds, the better. And the lyrics are dumb, the vibe is dumb, the, the turntable is dumb. In that sense, I think it works great. Like, it just feels like a real knucklehead of a song to me. The, in a way that the I drum
1: like. sounds are really good, but I, something that I know we both touched on in the last review, and that is still my favorite thing about this song, has got to be, like, the keyboard sounds. Those are mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. They're so good. Mm-hmm. They're so deranged mm-hmm. and, like, off-kilter. I love them.
0: Yeah, that that weird organ, that and when weird... you like
1: just get that like right before the second verse kicks in, wonderful moment.
0: Do you think you could strip Kid Koala out of the song and lose much? Though at times he definitely feels like the thing that's making this song taste a little stale to me.
1: Honestly, when we're talking about ways that our opinions about this record have changed over the years, and even since the last time we sat down to review this record, one thing that I was shocked to hear myself do on our previous review was sing the high praises of Kid Koala and say how, like, essential he was to the record. Because I like him, but I definitely I definitely think the scratching is something that has, like, aged the most poorly about this record.
0: There's moments that are real highlights from Kid. Yeah. But there are also moments where this feels just so fucking 90s to me, and this is mm-hmm. definitely one of them. Yeah,
1: I would probably lose him here, if given the choice.
0: Shout out to Jenny Beth. Who made this song her own on the human story? Oh yeah.
1: I totally forgot that happened.
0: Yeah, I feel like this song though, like it gives you a glimpse of an of a alternate and much inferior timeline where like, you know, Damon's like, I'm gonna go make a different statement than my band with this cool dub. You know, hip hop influenced band, and then what you got were a bunch of like Brit pop rockers with turntables and breakbeats underneath them. You know,
1: yeah, I'm definitely glad we don't
2: live in that universe and that we have this album instead. One thing that I kind of like learned to love about it later, or like like specifically appreciated, was how seamless it melds like, like just like a punk rock song and a synth pop song, or is it like like it's it's like the Clash meets Human League or something? Like the 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 combination of the guitars. In vocals with like that that bass sound and that bass line i never i never really realized how odd a combination it actually was until years into like you know being a huge fan of this album so that that's always the first thing i kind of think about just like how peculiar the melding of of all the sounds are in this one because like it it really does kind of just come off as like a a simple rock song
1: the clash meets human league that feels like something i would read like a comparison i would read in rise of the ogre or something though
0: Yeah, that could have come from the pen of Cass Brown himself, I
1: feel. Let's move on to our next track, the first single from the album, Tomorrow Comes Today. This is one that has really grown on me over the years. I think even in the last review of this album, I talked about how I have never really quite gotten this song but over the last couple years in particular there's been something about it that has really grown on me like a fungus and I it's like become one of those gorilla songs like like um, Andromeda that I can just kind of always put on and vibe to.
0: It's so lovely here on this record and I think that I've i kind of gotten used to you know the way that I interact with this song the most of it being like kind of a boring plateau in a gorilla's live set um and I do think it's a bit of a snoozer live. But the but the performance is so tender and so vulnerable here, and it's and it really elevates it and makes it really beautiful. And it's cool to see that like in this phase one super stoned wonky way, there were there we were still doing a little crooning on these Gorillas records.
1: I feel like the studio version is like way superior to the live one for the reasons you mentioned. And always in the past, I was very like, I never really quite got why this was the first single from the album that always kind of confounded me. But I feel like I understand it now more than ever, because it's really like the song is very much a mission statement for the entire project, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's a song that is very much about how we're headed into like a postmodern future in which the lines between the real and the digital are going to become so blurred that eventually you won't be able to tell the difference between them and that's exactly what gorillas represented at this early stage of the project like the meeting of the real and the fictional
0: yeah i i I definitely see and especially with the kind of like brit poppy and paparazzi circus that drove damon to want to disappear into this project Mm -hmm. uh you know there's there's a lot of that in there but I, I gotta tell you when I sat down with these lyrics I kind of came away with something different um, you know Russell Hobbs has experienced a lot of darkness in his life Trevor that's true his best friend killed in a drive-by shooting uh, now possessing him as a spirit uh, you know he might be like do you guys see this demonic presence but it but there's no camera that can see it you know he's just like us he's just like an, an incorporeal force uh, that kind of prevents Russell from growing out of his grief. It's like the death of his friend is there always. And he's also just so mired in death that he's not able to escape that creeping dread, that death will come for him too, maybe soon, perhaps when tomorrow comes today. And I really feel like, that's what this song is tapping into yeah you know maybe it's
1: because he's not featured in the music videos as much as the other members but I, I really don't think the like russell and his plight really gets enough attention from the fan base so i'm glad you took this as an opportunity to like dig into that in these lyrics here this this
2: was my first ever gorillas track really first ever gorillas track slash video tell us that story well okay so basically it was it was a combination of like like clint eastwood was obviously the big song but you know like being at school and hearing kids talking about gorillas i go home and uh get on whatever's you know the the p2p service of the day and just you know type gorillas download the first video i see it's tomorrow comes today and i play it and it was over like that that's that is the song you know that's the song that got me into them and that's that's definitely in my top three for this album. Um, possibly my favorite Gorilla song.
0: Damn, you were a sophisticated little kid.
2: Yeah, it was really close
1: to getting into my top three, which is just really a testament to how much this track has grown on me over the years.
0: I
2: also considered it for mine. Oh, damn, it's not even in your uh, top three.
0: I, I do think that, like, the, the breakbeat here is doing some very good work. I think that, like... Replacing those live drums uh, and and bringing in the automator in to to pull some classic hip hop breaks. Uh, this is a place where I feel like that really elevates it and gives this song so much more of a kind of a dark urban feel than uh, you know like Blur's drummer pumping out a, a drum track underneath this in a in a way similar to the live tracks that we've gotten. Would have done. I think that Automator gets like the most valuable player uh, in terms of the the accessory cast of gorillas on this track.
1: 100% agreed. And I think there's something really like undescribably special about that specific break too. Like I know it's a sample, but there's also something that just makes it feel like such like an analog element of the song. Like it's almost like having
2: a, a real instrument performance and a sample at the same time. Like you mm-hmm. get your cake and you eat it too. To, to bring it back to the old Kong website, uh, I don't know if you remember this, Dylan, but when you went into like one of one of their laptops or one of their computers, had uh, the samples for "Tomorrow Comes Today," and uh, that was that was where I realized that like the main drum, the main drum beat of the song is actually like a layering of like four different drum tracks slash drum breaks
0: i do vaguely remember this that's right oh, i don't know yeah. if i've ever
1: heard this but it doesn't surprise me because that is just really such like a fat drum sound
0: yeah it's super heavy it's got a little hiss to it it's just got a real it, it it it's vibing like a motherfucker in this very vibey track
1: no surprise that it would also be picked up by future gorillas collaborator although they hadn't met by that point uh danny brown for that one song he did what was that that's
0: called? right growing up It's a good track. Um, Let's move on to our next track New Genius, parentheses, brother.
1: Now, I have a feeling that this one is in your top three, Dylan. Number two in my top three for the self-time. I can call him. I can still call him. I still got it.
0: I think it's fucking phenomenal. One of my favorite Damon vocal performances on the record. One of my favorite hooks on the record. There's nothing about this song that doesn't still read as like 10 out of 10, A++ to me. One of my favorite songs on the record.
1: Yeah, we've obviously talked a lot on the show about like what big fans we both are of this one. I still think it's very cool still think it's a super underrated track that has never really gotten its proper due I don't have anything too insightful to say about it but I do think it's like an interesting example of Damon using his first musical project away from Blur to experiment with like styles of singing that he wouldn't necessarily use much during that project Mm -hmm. like I think he obviously felt very untethered from the artist he'd grown into becoming as part of Blur and he was excited to like stretch out and try some new things and in the case of this song I think he was very successful. Blues, soul, some of these elements. Yep. And when I was trying to figure out what I feel like this song is about in like a more general sense, I kind of got the impression from the chorus that it's about like having seen the worst of what your fellow man has to offer and wanting to retreat from the world as a result, which is definitely like a sentiment I could see Damon feeling around this time. Because like you briefly mentioned when we were talking about Tomorrow Comes Today... He was like a member of a very popular band that had not only been through the music industry machine but had also been like picked apart by tabloids mm. and whatnot during the battle of Britpop. and while i do maintain that gorillas is kind of like a solo project for damon it's also one in which his role was intentionally obscured and i really like respect him actually for finding a way to have a solo career that didn't require him to be in the spotlight too after everything he'd been through with blur over the course of the 90s like getting to play behind a screen and hide behind a cartoon character, definitely must have felt like a very attractive option for him.
0: Yeah, it's almost like you expect uh, a highly visible member of a band's first big solo outing to be just like a real ego self-suck. And instead what you got is a record that is absolutely self-indulgent, but not really an ego fest. It does not feel like the... Ladies and gentlemen, Damon Albarn moment. Like, if you you
1: look at the solo albums of like Damon's peers, like I'm talking about like other big Britpop guys from that period. Like, look at the solo albums like Jarvis Cocker Mm -hmm. or who is the guy from The Verve, Richard Ashcroft. Yeah. They were basically showing up on their solo LPs, like, What's up? I'm the second coming of Jesus Christ. Who needs the other guys? Whereas Damon is like, I'm not even fucking here
0: right now, dude. Look at these cartoons. Yeah. I, I also was struck by these lyrics and came up... I went a little different than you. Um, okay. Noodle was trained by the Japanese government to be a super soldier, a killing machine in the body of a child. We know this. The program was ultimately canceled, and Noodle's memory was wiped. Mm-hmm. Now, I think what these, what these lyrics are touching on in that, in that hook especially, before sending her on her way, I think that her project lead and her de facto father... Mr. Kyuzu. we know that he he gave her that code word Ocean Bacon Ocean to reawaken Bacon. her memories, which he was not supposed to do. He felt he felt a personal connection and did this against orders. I think that thi- that this chorus touches on the final parting message that he gave to the kids before sending them off. After wiping their memories, before sending them off, I believe he said to the kids, brothers and sisters, do what you must do and trust no one.
1: Powerful stuff. I, can, I could easily see that. And maybe those were maybe that was one of the few like English phrases Noodle knew or something and was able to convey to the band. And they were like, hey, let's use it for lyrics.
0: Or maybe when Miho came to the studio, they were like, hey, what's she talking about? And Miho was like, uh, you know, this and that. And they're like, oh, that could be... A, uh, those are lyrics. Let's use those.
1: You know, you never see Miho, Tori, and Noodle in the same room together. Ah, spooky. Weird. Jack, what do you think about this track?
2: Jack, thoughts? Absolutely a top three. Sick! Nice. This is one that I really, like, I guess fell in love with later on. I think, you know, when I when I was younger, it's like... It, it, was, it was a track that I liked, but I, I don't think I really fully appreciated it. Like, I, I, I liked it, but then... At some point in the in the 2010s, I I was like, holy shit, this is this is 11 out, 11 out of 10 uh, Gorillaz track here. It's
0: so singular
2: and it rips so hard. The sample work and you know just sort of the mysteriousness of of all that with you know the way the Damon's singing and and the kind of the ambiguous lyrics and everything. It's just like otherworldly one thing i will say though is that in general i think this is a very well sequenced album but i almost
1: have always kind of felt like this song feels a little bit redundant after like immediately listening to tomorrow comes today and i'd be interested in seeing how it would have worked slotted later on in the record maybe as like a late last minute like side two sleeper hit or something.
0: I wouldn't mind that. I think the second half of this record at times has some issues and I think if this could have been a nice flavor to, to add in there. Contrary to 5.4, I do think that like Kid Koala is perfectly incorporated here. I agree, yeah. That Bo Diddley sample, you know, so in step with the kind of bluesy, soulful uh, vibe of this track and like, if you lost that turntable solo uh, you'd be losing a very signature element of this song in my opinion
1: this is 100 kid koala's finest moment on the record and uh, i feel like this is almost all i need from him when it comes to his uh, contributions to the album it's that good
0: he's the mvp of the uh, of the of the side players on this one yep
1: speaking of mvps do you want to talk about one of the hardest haters for this entire record we got clint eastwood
0: I got sunshine in a bag. I'm useless, but not for long. The future is coming on. Who do you think does the laugh of the music video, track I've never really thought about it, but, uh... I don't know,
1: it could be a pitch down Jamie for all I know. It would be wonderful it was Jamie. I think it's slightly more likely that it's Damon, but even then, I really don't know. Yeah, I'd love to get that on record. What I do know is that after all these years, Call Me Pedestrian, but this is still my favorite Gorillaz song, and it's my number one on the album.
2: Oh, Jesus, you pedestrian.
0: Thanks. This narrowly misses mine, not because it's overplayed, or I don't think it's a brilliant song with two... Colossal verses and an indelible hook. But I uh, Oh, that outro. I'm having some trouble, guys. Oh man, with your the van. You're
1: kidding you're, ki- you're, ki- you're, ki- you're kidding me. I love the outro. It is so good and it feels like such a It feels like the band's signaling to like their dub roots. You know, that the song has this very long extended dubby outro.
0: There are times on this record where Damon is saying, Come with me. I'm going to drone, you're going to vibe, we're going to fucking float on, motherfucker. And I find that the batting average is so dependent on my own mood. But when I end up at the end of Clint Eastwood and I'm not in the mood to go there, I, I'm like, ah, come on. We're going to trade off Melodica and Turntable again? Because there's like they're just Man. trading solos there at the end. I could have used maybe 50% less. There's something in your heart that
1: you gotta get right with if you're not in the mood to vibe with the Clint Eastwood outro drone. I'm sorry.
0: (laughs) What can I say?
1: I could listen to it forever. And I just, I I like, you know, the conceptual implication of it is that Damon enjoys this little omnicord preset so much that he could just play it for six minutes and still not get tired of it. Anyway, yeah, my favorite Gorilla song. Uh, But as much as I like it, I've always kind of had a difficult time like articulating my feelings about it. Like, it's very anthemic, and it's got a ton of character. And like I just said, the Omnicord preset thing, like, gives it so much charm. But, like, it's hard coming up with things for it that, like, haven't already been said, you
0: know? Yeah, I mean, of course. Of
1: course. One thing one thing that did strike me upon this revisit is that, like, uh, obviously this is a song that's, like, literally about the Gorillas band, right? Like, mm-hmm. Del name-drops Russell, and for all intents and purposes, his verses are, like addressed to Murdoch, 2D and Noodle. But I also think that like the hook that Damon sings is very much about the Gorillas project in a meta way. Like when you look at the lyrics, I've got Sunshine in a bag and the future is coming on, this is like a song about knowing that you've got something special that's going to open up a lot of doors for you. And I think those are the kind of feelings Damon might have had about the Gorillaz project during these early days when he was first getting it off the ground. The, we're so like, close on this one. We're so if, close. If I could draw parallels between the Gorillaz musical project and the animated band, I think when it comes to like the fictional side of the band, you know, 2D is most frequently seen as like the analog for Damon. But in phase one... I almost want to say that, like, Russell is a better parallel for Alburn at this point, because, like, while Russell is possessed by Adele, uh, Damon is possessed by, like, this drive to experiment and explore, which will ultimately be the musical project's key to success, much in the same way that Dell is promising to be the band's key to success in this song. In a way damon auburn has always been his own like bag of sunshine
0: i feel it i totally feel it i'm so close to you on this one in my opinion what this hook is about i think murdoch nichols was looking back on these sessions and you know the assembly cut of the record we of course know that the original for life cypher version did not have this hook which speaks to the idea that this hook maybe came in a little bit later I think Murdoch was feeling like, this is the one that's finally going to break me. This is the one that's going to make everybody know who everybody have to reckon with Murdoch Nichols. And back on Tomorrow Comes Today, we got, you know, Russell's very dreary picture of the future. On the contrary, Murdoch's the future is so bright, he's got to wear shades. I mean, Clint Eastwood once instructed uh, somebody to ask themselves, do I feel lucky? He even asked, "Well, do you punk?" Hey, that's a name of that's a name of another song on the album. And I think that uh, Murdoch Nichols would have answered that question in the absolute affirmative. This is a man who feels like he's fucking rolled boxcars with this record.
2: Can't disagree with that. Read at all, Jack? What do you think about Clint Eastwood? I agree with most of what you guys said, but it, it's not in my top three. And when Dylan said that, it's, Dylan, it's it's not in yours, right?
0: No, it's not.
2: When you said it wasn't because of the overplay, I, I gotta be honest, like, for me, that's part of it, because, like, just the amount of times that I've heard this song, the only time I get excited when I hear it is when I'm not expecting to hear it. So when I listen to this album, unless I'm listening to the to the the record, um, it's... It, Usually a skipper. Ooh, a skipper!
0: I don't think I've ever been so bold as to skip Clint Eastwood.
2: I will say though, it's blasphemy. There, there's a there's a moment on this song that almost made it into my moments. Like when uh, on the second verse, when when Dan drops like the sort of more organic uh, drum break. That's that's like one of the coolest moments on the record. It's a great moment with the kind
0: of like uh, almost ragtimey saloon piano. Very yeah.
2: cool. I also get it. I, I definitely never had a problem with the outro. That, that kind of caught me off guard when you were talking about that. Just something about the fact
0: that it's melodica versus turntable, and it goes on for so no. long. No, man. Like I said, you got to you gotta
1: get right with something. It'd
0: be like, it, I almost picture them just like faced off on stage together, and me just like there. in <laughs> the crowd just like checking my watch. Like, Jesus Christ. Okay.
1: This is an album with Rock the House on it. It's a record all about like listening to annoying instruments until you get sick of them. <laughs> Oh. Ah. bold. <laughs> hey, something else I wanted us to touch on real quick about uh, this song before we move on. I really wanted to talk about how it has explicit lyrics, which is something that's always struck me as being like a little odd. Like Del says like fuck twice and both Bust usages- a few rounds, motherfuckers. Neither of the occurrences of the F word feel very necessary to the song to me. And it, like, it, fe- it feels worth pointing out like for two reasons. One, we know from an interview that Dell gave in 2010 that he wrote his verses using the lessons he learned while reading a book titled How to Write a Hit Song. Quick side note on that, that interview like doesn't seem to exist on the internet anymore, unfortunately, but it's still discussed on his Wikipedia page, which fortunately also includes the bit of trivia that he originally bought the book using a coupon given to him by his mother. <laughs> anyway, it's kind of interesting to me that Dell would specifically set out to write a hit song that he knew would have to be censored for radio play. But even more so, I wonder if Dell or maybe even Damon like actually wanted the song to be explicit in order to signal that, like, even though this is a cartoon band, it's not like specifically for kids, which almost feels kind of like in to what the project would become, in a way. Because, like, Mm. Dylan, you mentioned at the beginning of the episode how, like, this is a fan community where, like, you've got, like, people our age and then younger listeners. Like, obviously, Gorillaz is not specifically for children, but the general vibe of the project does feel like it's supposed to be, like, intentionally, like, for everybody, you know? And I can definitely see that parental advisory sticker preventing some younger listeners from being able to access this album in the first place. Like, I would bet money if you polled, like, a selection of Gorillaz fans who were relatively young when this album first came out, you would find at least one that had a story about having to hide that sticker from their parents while buying this record or something. I'm one of them.
0: But it's 2001. Okay, and you need you need radio cred. You need schoolyard cred. I think that mm-hmm. the addition of these F bombs makes this cool kid music. You know what I mean? Okay. Like yeah, I could see Kids that. Kids are buying fucking, you know, Limb Biscuit records. M&M. M&M records. We know Damon
1: was a big fan of M&M around this period.
0: Definitely. I think that it's very calculated, these two mods. I wonder, it just makes
1: me wonder if Damon was like, and can you make sure that you please swear in your rap versus <laughs> Mr. Rapper from America, <laughs> you know? I, I certainly don't feel like Gorillas needs to or should, like, go the Will Smith route of exclusively making clean, non-explicit music. I just think it's like an interesting dichotomy to think about. Maybe
0: it was Dell's uncle, Ice Cube, who listened to (laughs) like, you know, an assembly uh, version of those verses and he was like, you gotta gangster this up a little bit. You know?
2: <laughs> Possibly. Wasn't yeah. wasn't Ice Cube making like uh Are We There Yet Two by this point? We're sure that Ice Cube is Dell's cousin, not Ice T, right? It's Ice Cube. Yeah. Ice He's Cube's on uh, Okay, how my
0: I wish my brother George were here. He goes when Dell goes, uh uh dark skinned girls is better than light skinned, uh, <laughs> Ice Cube goes, I disagree, homeboy. It's a good moment. <laughs> Great moment on that record. Mm-hmm. Might make my top three. <laughs> I, I did find
1: a uh I did find like a weird little interesting piece of trivia on the wikipedia page for this song that i'd never heard before Mm -hmm. uh there's this quick little paragraph that says the strings featured in the song are from a string machine the selena string ensemble according to engineer jason cox damon gave us the okay to set fire to it on stage but we said no you can't set fire to that it's a classic and it ended up being used on the song as well as some other tracks on the album.
0: Weird. Weird. Very weird. It's
1: like Damon gave us the okay to set fire to it on stage, and they said no. Why was he giving you the okay if you weren't asking for it?
0: Yeah. Hey, Jason Cox, come out and burn that
2: uh, that string
0: machine. No, Damon.
2: Not going to do that. That's music history. That might have just still been Damon in his uh, edgy early 2000s mode that, that also led to telling Dell to to drop some F-bombs in Clint Eastwood. Oh, yeah. yeah. He was a real wild child back in the day.
0: Hey, you, say the F-word. You, burn that synthesizer. Talk about shaking your ass crap. The kids <laughs> love that. <laughs> Listen, Del, I love the verses on Clint Eastwood. Can you do make one more, but make it for the bitches? <laughs> uh, okay, let's move into this next song. It is called Man Research. Clapper.
1: Kind of sounds like a synthesizer or something's on fire in this one. Another big winner,
0: I think. This one rules. I mean, it's so unhinged. To me, the reason you come to Man Research is to listen to Damon off in a fucking sweaty-ass fugue state, you know?
1: Yeah, Damon is totally off the chain on this one. His vocals are, like, so far out there. And the music is so different than anything he'd ever done with Blur. It really sounds like he's like having a blast, and I think the good mood on this one is like really contagious. Maybe neither this one or uh, New Genius really benefit from like being the tracks that surround Clint Eastwood, because I think this one is also super underrated, and it's always been a big favorite of mine. And in fact, I'm going to say it's my number three on the record. Hey, going and back for Man Research. I love Very it, man. Very cool. It's a song that I think is just like generally about how exciting it is to work on something that you believe is really special. Mm. Like, I really love that the name of this song uh, specifically invokes the concept of research, because so much of this album feels like a weird science experiment. And this song in particular, uh, I, I think on it, Damon even sounds like a mad scientist.
0: Yeah, especially in that opening, uh, this is a breakfast club. Oh, yeah.
1: I still have no idea why he says this is a breakfast club. But it's one of my favorite parts of the whole album, and I think it's like the best, like the single best example of this record's sense of uh, spontaneity, which is easily like one of the best things it has going for it.
0: I also don't know what it means, but it speaks to just fucking how far out there they all were making. Nobody knows what it means. It's evocative. Now, my take on what this song. is... Is, you know, bands like to do that thing sometimes, Trevor, where they experiment by like cutting up words and throwing them on the floor and regathering them into lyrics or like, you know, looking through books to pull lines or something. I think think
1: Brian Eno pioneered both of those methods.
0: Definitely. I think that uh, Murdoch Nichols uh, at or rather Russell at the insistence of Murdoch Nichols. Followed Noodle around all day uh, with a pen and paper trying to transcribe what she was saying as a non-Japanese speaker. Just like sounds and gibberish. And then they took and kind of like compartmentalized them into, you know, rhyming and rhythmically compatible couplets. And that's what the lyrics for Man Research are.
2: Damn, Brian, you know, eat your heart out. I I love this track. I, I adore the way that Damon sings on this one. It's the type of like... Odd falsetto that he started doing probably probably as far back as like Park Life, but he's he's just th- this is like full force here like it's completely off the rails. Uh, definitely one of the most intergalactic tracks in terms of sounding like you know a UFO just dropped this off somewhere it's it's insane and like i mean like the chorus is just yeah, yeah you know times 12 or whatever damon is not a human being on this song no
0: <laughs> you really feel it too those those la- that last round of yeah 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 and then when he like fucking takes it up into this crazy ad lib the yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah so there, are some, there are some there are some ad libs on this
1: song where it just sounds like he is like writhing around on the ground or something i don't know how he's
2: getting these noises out of himself it's
0: a performance
2: honestly i, I know i just agreed when he said uh he's not a human being in this song but like i think it's like he felt so intensely that he just he lost his mind for a moment and then in that moment did this song i was speaking hyperbolically too i I think he is still very much like a human being on this
1: song he doesn't no no no
2: no but i mean like
1: turn into any other kind of creature or anything
2: right
0: okay let's uh let's shake off the man research fugue and get straight into the the oi 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 let's talk about punk
1: Let's get punked by Damon Albarn mm,
0: and Ashton Kutcher. Uh, child trafficking—he's gonna solve it. <laughs> he's
1: gonna stop it.
0: What do you think, Trevor? Are you how down are are you on Punk? Are you like officially in the no thanks club for Punk, or where are you? I in, in this day and age, I
1: actually find that I can't bring myself to say a negative thing about this song. It'll clearly never be my favorite song on the album musically, but I still have a lot of affection for it doing no small part to that sequence in Bananas where we got to see Damon figuring out the beginning of the song in real time that sequence just really endeared it to me in a way that I would have never expected and as a result I have like an attachment to this song that I don't have to like some songs on this album that I much prefer to it.
0: That's certainly my favorite thing about this song too is picturing that sequence in in Bananas but uh, uh, it's short So I I meant that, like, I don't love this song, you guys. I I mean,
1: it's the brief little fuck-around song that Damon thinks you got to have on every album. How much can you really like it? But I think it's perfectly adequate for what it is. It's not the worst brief uh, explosion of energy Mm -hmm. on a Damon Auburn record.
0: There's something about the mix that I don't love, or maybe it's the guitar tone. That There's just something about it that sounds bad to me Mm -hmm. that I don't love. But, I mean, Jack, are you going to defend its honor? Are you going to white knight for puns? You yourself said that you have not incorporated it into any
2: versus Log S uh, uh, material. So, yeah, I, I you know. don't think I have. Um, but I definitely, I, I'm glad that Trevor brought up the part from Bananas because like, that actually is one of the immediate things I think about uh, in relation to this song. Like Something about Damon like just excitedly playing that. I think he was playing the bass. Between, uh, in those little gaps between the the riffs when, like, you know, the, the noise has gone off, he just kind of, like, looks up gleefully, and it's like he's laughing at the people around him, and it's like something about that, like, definitely stuck with me and is one of the first things I think about when, you know, I even think about this song. And this is a, another song that
1: I think is kind of tangentially about Damon feeling, like, stifled by his career as the frontman of Blur. And more generally, I think this is a song about, like, being unable to express yourself in a certain environment and the frustrations that can result from that.
0: I got to say I think you're dead wrong. I think really? you're dead wrong. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think the song is about? I think that this was a leftover cut from Murdoch's previous band, The Burning Sensations, aka oh, Murdoch yeah. Nichols and The Burning Sensations. I think he played gorillas like a muddy tape recording from one of their live performances and he was like Supposed to be teaching it to the band, but instead, everyone was kind of so jazzed to play, they just jumped behind their instruments and started banging it out. 2D didn't even know what the lyrics were, he was just going off the vibe. And Murdoch even had to admit that this, like, spontaneous take on the material sounded better than any fussing was going to get. And that's the version that appears on this record.
2: Well, the great thing about our two interpretations of this song is that they're not mutually exclusive. That is true. Yeah, you know that that uh, that Phase One illustration where it's like the band's playing in a purple room or something, and Tootie's like flying toward the uh, toward the camera. <laughs> He's just like wasn't that with a like mic in his hand. wasn't that the illustration for this
1: song like in the lyric booklet or something or was that like slow country or something
0: No that was the that was the where he's jumping and yelling and much yeah. kind of lenticular bigger than the rest that was the illustration for punk in the in the booklet I thought so That was so cool I wish that I wish Gorillas album still had booklets with individual pages for songs that'd be so chill That was like one of
1: my favorite things about the project back in the day like i loved that they did that even they they even did that in g sides which was really cool
0: i would love to see uh you know an enterprising gorillas fan make mock-up booklets in that style for their later gorillas records. that'd be sick
1: i was one such enterprising gorillas fan myself back in the day because i remember making a booklet for like my own version of uh d sides where each like uh phase two b-side had its own corresponding
0: artwork sick did you download and implement the gorilla's font in order to help make that
1: you know i did even though it wouldn't have made sense to do that in phase two
0: can we just agree, best looking font in the world? You should make it your 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 desktop's native font. Yeah, and I find that the
2: more you the, the bigger you do the font, the more you blow it up, the better it looks too. I would I would love to see somebody turn in like a college essay just written in a gorilla's font. What is twelve point? You said twelve point. And also and also like every every S is a Z and you know the whole uh, <laughs>
0: the whole yeah. process <laughs> and your your professor or your TA just like dutifully goes through and circles all of them and puts a question mark <laughs> next to it
1: here's my critical essay on Ulysses
0: <laughs> okay let's talk about sound check parentheses gravity we got to keep moving gravity oh. let me down me the nadir of this record for me guys oh. I ch- Damn.
1: Yeah, I unfortunately can't say as many nice things about this one as I can say about Punk. I still think this song is like definitely a jam, especially when it hits me in the right mood. And I love that it includes the recording of Damon playing guitar and singing on the roof in Jamaica. Like for that reason alone, I would never cut this from the record. But it still is probably the closest thing that this album has to a skip for me personally.
0: It's so long. It's very long. Yeah. There is some magic to that. That. Rooftop recording, and his voice sounds so beautiful. But it really feels like an intro in search of a song to in to move into that never happens. Like it's kind of like the elements all start like they're really building to something. You start with that rooftop guitar, that very pretty gravity a, a refrain, and then the 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 drop happens, and and then like the doo doo do 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 do. I'm like, okay, yeah. Don't, don't, uh, don't hold me down on me. Don't hold me down on you. Then we just go right back into the scratching again. And you're like, Oh, these are the elements. Like this is the song. And I just feel like it needed something more to, to earn its length, because this is definitely the biggest moment where I feel like Damon's saying, come with me into the void come with me and dumb out with me, and I just can't go there. It's it's a little too thin for me.
1: I don't even know if I get the impression that Damon is really saying that on this track. It definitely doesn't feel like a very Damon-led song. Like, if anything, this feels more like an automator experiment or interlude mm-hmm. than anything. And, like... For what it is, I really do quite enjoy it. When you were going through all the elements just now, I was thinking like, oh, you know, I actually quite like that part. I quite like that part too. Why isn't this song a bigger hit for me? And I think one, it's just because of the length and two, because it just doesn't feel like there's as much like substance to it as the rest of the songs feel like they have. But Jack, it sounds
0: like you're a bigger fan of this one than dylan and i are uh what do you like and about this t- track we've taken shit on this show before for coming down on this song so i'm glad that I'm somebody. St- in i'm
1: still not gonna... even really fucking coming down on this song it's mainly just dylan but jack what do you like so much <laughs> I, about this i one? think
2: i think we finally <laughs> arrived at like why this is my favorite gorillas album and not you guys because this this is in my top three <laughs> Wild. There's a lot of people who who really, really respond to this one. So take us through it. When when Trevor said that rehash was kind of uh, uh, like a summary of the of the album, um, that's how I feel about this one. It's like you, you know you, you've got you've got you know Damon on you know uh, a roof somewhere, you know just plucking two chords on an acoustic, singing in falsetto about gravity, and then it just comes in with you know the, these these uh, huge drums, this you know uh, just sample mysterious vocal sample out of nowhere just crazy bass line just you know all the all these elements like coming together um unexpectedly i mean especially like for somebody who's like listening for the first time you know you're, you're expecting just like an acoustic song and then it just you know it, it breaks into that then you know goes back into kind of like you know this atmospheric thing Damon singing something else um it's just, it's just like this it's a journey for like a better word And uh, I mean, especially as a huge Automator fan, um, I I just love how Automator uh, stamped it is,
1: you know? I definitely wish I could return to it and listen to it for the first time with fresh ears in 2021. Because I wonder if what's preventing me from loving it, even today, is just how much it didn't really click for me back in the day.
0: I wish Kid Koala was doing something slightly different. Because I feel like... I 100% vibe with what Damon and especially Junior Dan are doing here. I would give Junior Dan MVP status on this song uh, with that extremely good nimble bass line that he drops. Whatever that sample is, it's just like a little distracting. It's just a little clashy for me, that Kid Koala sample.
1: Yeah, I do think everybody else is doing like a much better job on this song than the stuff that Kid Koala is contributing
2: it's it's hard to say how I would react to it if I heard it for the first time now i'd I'd probably still like it um but I, I should also say that like you know back when I was first getting into this album, I feel like this was actually one of the ones where I would like most often actually picture the band you know the gorillas playing for some reason that's really interesting to me because like this is this feels like it's
1: the furthest removed from what I can uh, picture like an actual four-piece band playing. This is purely like a product of like a couple hip-hop producers and a guy who's interested in the genre sitting down together and like making something.
0: I mean, the elements are there. You got bass, guitar, drum, and keys. They're all here. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. It just that's just not how I hear it for some reason. What about? Do you think a verse would have kicked this one up a little bit, Trevor? If like uh, maybe, what if fellow Cipher had been here, going like, you know? With me inside Philly bringing you down like gravity. Like, do you think that would have? I don't know if that would have been. I don't know if that would have been better, but it definitely would
1: have been a different direction for the track. And like, I would have. I would love if that like gets unearthed on like a SoundCloud at some point in the future. <laughs> like their, uh, like their Starshine cover did. Sure. Before we move on from this one, though, I just want to say that like I think like talk like the like lyrically i think this is a song about like feeling unable to free yourself from something that you feel like is holding you back which i i think pre- fits in pretty well with my general read of the record so far as being about damon wanting to intentionally take his career in a new direction
0: mm, yeah i totally see where you're getting that definitely i think i think this is another example of 2D taking something murdoch said and spinning it into lyrics like he did back on rehash i think this is based on murdoch's explanation of why he should not be held legally liable for hitting 2d with his car when he was trying to rob uh you know that that music store that 2d was working in i think 2d was like my mom said that i should sue you for hitting me with your car and then Murdoch was like, "Ah, oh, I didn't hit you with my car. It was inertia. It was just gravity." <laughs> you know, and so like he was like, "Oh, well, it's gravity." You know, gravity never lets me down gently, you know? I get it. I that's where I see it coming from anyway. It's cl- sounds like classic Murdoch stuff to me. Mm-hmm. Totally. Speaking of classic Murdoch, he's a he's a bass player. Yeah, let's talk about it on double bass. Got some fondness for this. I think my problem here is that we are in a patchy section of the record uh, where things have gotten a little bit conceptually thin, where things feel like they're a little not half baked but three quarter baked for me. And you know, sticking this kind of lengthy instrumental in the middle of that section, another song nearly pushing the five minute mark. Uh, you know, it's challenging my my attention span, but I do think this is, like, a pretty A1 uh, gorilla's instrumental. I do think it's a great track.
1: Yeah, I think all of your complaints are valid, but, man, I love this one. It, like, absolutely slaps. Honestly, maybe in the top half of the record for me by this point. Do you remember how, like, the in-universe backstory for this song is that the band attached, like, a musical device to Damon Albarn's brain and this is what came out? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's, like, super fitting because, in my opinion, this is a song about being, like, trapped in your own fucking head. Like, the entire track feels like the audio equivalent of, like, a very low-key panic attack or something. And, like, I mean, instead of, like, lyrics, it just says Damon mumbling about being anxious and I, I think when we first talked about this track during our original review, I said that it sounded like a band of demons playing elevator music mm-hmm. as you descend into hell, but are like kind of chill about it. I'd also like to add that I think it sounds like walking down a staircase that you slowly start to realize is never going to end, like the opposite of the one from uh, Mario 64.
0: Yeah, those those kind of reverbed out slide noises. Yeah.
1: But well, like I definitely I get big like anxiety spiral vibes from this song. It's kind of in the same way that I think like the music of Steely Dan sounds like an emotional breakdown. Mm, like, sure. yeah, we're openly crying, but we're playing a sick bass line while we do it. Yeah, I can see that. Damon just like snapped when he put this instrumental together, dude. It like
0: it rocks. I think that little bit in Rhymes of the Ogre is winking at what's actually happening on this song. What do you mean by that? When you're on a major label, Sometimes the execs like to send like an established company boy to the studio to like snoop on the new talent as they work on their record. You know, sure. What was the uh, what was the uh, name of the Dante guy who they is did that? A scrub, for? yeah. Dante is a scrub on the on the three feet high and rising. Uh, I think one day Parlophone sent some douchebag from Flavor of the Month band Blur uh, to crash the sessions, Davey. You know Auburn or whatever his name is, mm-hmm. and he said, oh, "You know, Trek sounds good, but your basses is a bit shit." <laughs> and so, impromptu, Murdoch Nichols challenged this Britpop pretty boy douchebag to a bass off, and I think the result was so vibey they decided to keep it on the record.
2: It sounds like it definitely could have happened. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely like this one a lot, but uh, I've always I've always kind of like um, approached it as less of a song and more of like a like a resume for, for Damon's ability to just like put, put a variety of just like random and very odd synth sounds and just like noises and stuff on a, on a track and make it work without sounding like cluttered because like there's, there's so many different like th- this track is basically just like a series of like very odd very cool sounding synth sounds going off over like this just uh, just amazing bass and drum groove
1: yeah, it's definitely like another example of Damon as a mad scientist. I think he's like, "Look at this cool fucking thing that I just made. Doesn't it sound awesome?"
0: I was a little shocked to hear that Gorillas vs. Log S has not made use of this because it would seem like a twelve-year-old, thirteen-year-old Log S would be like, "Fuck yeah, g- drop a drop an acapella over this. You're done."
2: I used uh, I used some samples from like the the old Kong site they the, the old Kong side had like double bass sample like specifically the sense and stuff I used that on various tracks I think my favorite element of this song is probably that keyboard part that goes like yeah that's great I'm personally partial to the uh
0: <laughs>
2: that was the life-changing moment on there for me that's a good sample right
0: there do you guys have anything else to say about this one um all I can all I have to say is that I am ready to rock the house. That's all I have to say.
1: So this song mainly just like I don't have like too much like interpretation for this one, but it, it mainly strikes me as like Dell having a good time on the mic, but In a broader sense, I think you definitely notice that, like, a lot of the lyrics are about freeing yourself of your inhibitions and maybe upsetting the natural order of things while you're at it. And in this case, I think Rock the House kind of has, like, two meanings, partying down and shaking up the status quo, which is something Damon
0: wanted to do with Gorillaz. See, now, I think that shortly after signing the band, Parlophone pulled a, a classic... Uh, label move and invited them all onto one of their, you know, crazy opulent a r yachts for a big party at sea in the UK. And Russell was doing a short DJ set out on the Lido deck poolside. And the beat was so fat, it coaxed Del the Ghost Rapper out of his skull to drop a few appropriately nautically themed bars. And Many execs leapt from the boat in terror. Some of them would lose their lives that day, Trevor, but those who stuck around agreed that it was kind of a bop and pushed the band to include it on the record, which was somewhat resisted by the other members. So do you
1: think this was a live recording of that actual event, or do you think they had to replicate it in the studio at a later date?
0: I think they had to basically seance it out of him again you know gotcha so this
1: isn't like there's no possibility that like that uh roller coaster of love song you can hear some like uh record executives oh. jumping to their death and drowning in the background if you listen hard I'm enough I'm not
0: starting that urban legend here today but if it starts as a result of this you know i approve there there should be more Gorilla's creepy pasta mm
1: definitely it's a good one though i i always really enjoy it like when i return to it
0: I need it here, too, because it feels like we've been a little bit substanceless this last run. And, like, I mean, obviously, in a way, this is not the most substantive thing here because it is kind of like the Dell and and Automator show the to Dell an showcase. Extent. Yeah. But Dell's at the height of his powers. He's so fun. The hook's good. The verses are, are a lot of fun. And, yeah, I mean, just, like, very listenable thumbs up
1: yeah and even if uh even if damon isn't on it it is like decidedly like a song in a way that double bass and uh soundtrack kind of weren't
2: i feel like honestly like for for dell's story about you know get, like getting getting that book about how to write a hit song it honestly makes a bit more sense for this one than uh than clint i agree i think that maybe he might have mixed up his gorilla's experiences when he when he told that story <laughs> He famously did forget
1: writing this song entirely when somebody asked him about it back in, like, 2016 or whatever. Yeah,
0: somebody was like, are you going to do Rock the House? He's like, man, I don't even remember that song. I
2: don't even know what that song is. And I'm like, right now, I'm I'm about 75% per, uh, convinced that this was definitely the the hit song he was trying to write.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, when you think about hit songs, like, what makes a hit song? Obviously, like, in-universe references to the fictional members of this band that he's been contracted to work with.
0: It might be my favorite entrance he makes on the whole record when he does Gravitational Pull, I have you making a fool out of yourself on the dance floor, just for that line about doing backspins, running man and more, parting down with Viga and Candor. It's pretty That's good. So funny. <laughs> pretty good. Viga and Candor, you should party down with Vigor and Candor if you can. Both of them,
1: really solid single though. I don't have a lot to say about it. Uh, probably the most I've ever enjoyed this song, oddly enough, has gotta have been uh, when we saw it performed
0: by Bananas uh, in uh, in Chucktown back in 2018. <laughs> really good performance. They kind of brought everybody up to fucking go for it. Yeah. on that one, it was like a mega mix. They turned something. it into a
1: posse cut. You love to see it. We got another single up next to talk about if you guys are ready to move on. It's 19
0: I'm ready to move on and call this one my number three on the record. Still have a lot of, uh, of goodwill for 19 I think the element that, that makes it kind of never fade for me is just that... that wonky-ass synth group it's just so weird and off-kilter and funny and uh makes me feel good it is a really interesting sounding song how did uh
1: how did the guy who did the Soul Child remix describe it again a ropey dirgy <laughs> old demo a ropey dirgy old demo uh upon upon this most recent visit uh it really stood out to me that like 192000 is basically the opposite side of the same coin as Tomorrow Comes Today. Mm-hmm. Like they're both songs about how quickly the world is changing and how difficult it can be to keep up, but each approaches the subject from like a different angle. Like on Tomorrow Comes Today, the future is kind of portrayed as this like foreboding challenge, but on 192000, Damon is like excited about the future and he's looking for a way to reflect that excitement in his art. Like, basically, the message I get from Tomorrow Comes Today is I'm a little anxious about how quickly we're moving into the future. Well, the message I get from nineteen two thousand is I'm really excited about how quickly we're moving into the future.
0: <laughs> totally, yeah, it is interesting. There's a little a duality of man there. See, now I think that the lyrics really speak to uh, the early days of this band when you know Russell and Murdoch and Two D all kind of from different worlds and different perspectives. One place where they would have bonded, one mutual uh, interest they would have had, was shoe fashion. I mean obviously hmm. Murdoch loves his Italian leather boots and uh, and Russell's always got a fly pair of kicks and then, you know, skinny hipster boy 2D with his with his converses, his Chuck Taylors. Uh, you know, on top of that, they all came from kind of lower, middle, working class backgrounds. So they all must have grown up with the kind of common pain of having the ugly pair of of shoes on the schoolyard wishing you could have fly kicks. You know, my mama told me, slow down. Don't, you know, when you're thinking about lead Nike sneakers, slow down. You got to make your own shoes. We're, We're poor as fuck out here. And I think those conversations bonding over their kind of the mutuality, of their origins are what informed the lyrics that grew into nineteen two thousand. As a side note, it's also must have been why the Converse sponsorship was such a a moment of pride and so enticing for this band.
1: Oh yeah, I mean it felt like they were building to that from the start, right? The roots are right here.
0: Shoes forever.
1: That's what it's all band, about. That's right? what you get into the business to do, to
0: promote shoes. Do you think that uh, that lyric of the monkey in the jungle watching a vapor trail caught up in the conflict between his brain and his tail, it feels like one of the most written lines on this record. Uh, should I be reading kind of like a, a super ego versus sexual id tension into that lyric? Is Is the brain and its tail kind of like... You know, like the the internal struggle of, of man versus genital. Is that what I'm supposed to read into that line? I don't know if it's
1: necessarily, like, sexual in nature, but I do think there is something about that lyric that speaks to, like, the inner conflict of man when it comes down to, like, self-control versus, you know, your baser instinct.
0: It is weird that here on this breezy, you know, super fun song, you get some of the most pen-to-paper Damon lyrics.
1: Yeah, that is interesting. Nothing, it's not not something I really noticed before. Jack, do you have any? Do you have any hot takes on nineteen two thousand?
2: Uh it's it's not one of my favorites on here, but you know, I mean, I, I definitely I, I don't hate it. My my favorite part of the song is probably the little um, that little break in the song where like you really hear. I guess it's like one just one of automator's break beats, and then the little
0: yeah back into the groove yeah. Glad to hear you finally taken a swipe at something even if it is in my top 3. So we know that it's not that like the golden specks of, of nostalgia allowed this album to do no wrong for you. You're still thinking critically about this stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean they can't all be sound checks, right? Exactly. <laughs> uh, I'm interested in hearing what we think about uh, this next song if you guys are ready to proceed. let mm-hmm. Let's talk about Latin Simone, "Que pasa contigo."
0: one place where I've not really grown in the intervening four years since our last review of this is I still wish that we had an official version on this record that was more of a blend of the Ibrahim Ferrer and the Damon Albarn versions.
1: Yeah. I mean, it certainly would have been the platonic ideal version of the song to have on the album. I, I gotta say sometime like no disrespect to Ibrahim being on the record, but Sometimes I do kind of wish that the English version had made its way onto the album and this version was the one that was on G sides.
0: I'm worried that if you made that change though, you would do a butterfly effect like change that like drastically altered the idea of the role that a collaborator would, a guest collaborator would play on a Gorillaz album.
1: I I agree, and I would never in a hundred years like take ibrahim being on this record away from damon sure because i feel like he's playing a very specific role on this song and in this album like in general i think latin simone is like a song about self-doubt which is something i could easily see damon struggling with throughout the process of trying to get like something ridiculous as a cartoon band off the ground uh the lyrics are like about needing to pick yourself back up and i think it's actually like a really vulnerable move for damon to get someone to like do a guest vocal for this song because i think the resulting effect is that it kind of feels like it's being sung to Damon, and like looking at that from a different perspective i think it was a pretty pretty clutch power move on Damon's part getting ibram ferrer of all people to sing a song to cheer him up
0: it's so interesting that years later we would get that we would get the uh cali uchis special of she's my caller where he would she would sing her own version of the song replacing the she's my caller lyric with He's my gem. Almost feeling like a very direct reference to the idea that Latin Simone English and Latin Simone album are speaking to each other uh, in in English and Spanish. A conversation has had the same exact dynamic between those two versions. Very weird. It's
1: it's definitely very interesting that like there are multiple instances of a Gorilla song with two versions. Those two versions. Ending up in conversation with each other. Yeah, I agree.
0: As for these lyrics, I think almost word for word, these Ibrahim Farah lyrics anyway, are a a conversation that... Uh, Murdoch Nichols had with Border Patrol as he was attempting to smuggle a bag of H that he copped in Juarez uh, into the States. You know, get out if you want to survive, and then after the bag ruptured in his stomach and he started nodding out, what's the matter with you?
2: How do you even begin to explain by that point? This might be my, my least favorite on the album. Oof! I, uh, even to this day, often kind of forget that it exists. Um, and I, I, I love uh, I love the version on G-Side's but just you know being a kid growing up on this on this album like this was never one that i really uh paid attention to and, and it, that that's that's been something that's kind of honestly just been hard to shake i mean you know the the uh the, the music is great the vocals are great musically it's like
1: one of my favorite songs yeah. on the album it, there's something that feels like so rich about this recording the groove is very good i agree really great groove great arrangements and i still think if you slot in Damon's English vocals on this one it would have really turned it into like a serious late game heater on this album
0: and this one like of the phase one cuts really continued to have a life in the live gorillas rotation. I think in part because it's of all the phase one material, probably the one that's most vocally still in reach for Damon Albarn as he enters into his 50s. Like he can still hit that performance just fine whereas like if you put a man research in front of the yeah, guy I it... was
1: going to say I don't see him doing man research. That's exactly the one that I was going to say. But yeah, who who could have guessed that this one would have had like way more live staying power than like so many of the other songs mm-hmm. on this album
2: totally how do you rate the uh melodica versus muted trumpet over the uh melodica versus kid koala <laughs> a little higher
0: i think the muted trumpet is very good on this song so I'm, I'm down
1: all right we've only got a couple more songs to talk about but uh let's get to this next one it is starshine
0: Very thin for me. This one is another example of like this being the Gorillaz record that like maybe a couple more weeks of generating could have helped. Uh, I I think that there's things I like. I like the very clicky drum machine sound. Uh, I like the general sound of the song. I think that the reverb is great. Obviously, it's like the the most out and out dubby thing on the record, which is cool. It just never quite turns into a thing, a full thing for me.
1: Yeah, I agree with you that this one is kind of thin, but maybe like unlike Gravity, I feel like I could just like listen to this one like forever. And I'm really glad that there's like such a cool like vibey, loose song here in like the final stretch of the record. That being said. I wouldn't have really been mad at all if they had just kind of like saved this one for G-Sides. And in fact, I actually think it would have worked really well on that record.
0: Me too. Same kind of vibe as some of that g side stuff. I agree. Definitely.
1: I I think there's like a bunch of different interpretations you can probably apply to like the, the starshine that Damon is waiting to be found by in this song. But I find it most satisfying to interpret this song as being about... Waiting for creative inspiration mm. Like there are a bunch of songs on the album That I think are about being inspired And I like that there is a song That also portrays the other side of the creative process The period where you're like Burnt out and don't really know what to do Because things can't always be Clint Eastwood and man research
0: Now I think There's a moment on the Apex tapes Where Murdoch uh, Is giving a list of like where Gorillas gets their songs from and it's just like a classic gorilla's list of a bunch of nonsense things. And one of the things he says, the diary of yours truly, uh, I think that this is, feels like something that was completely sourced from Murnoch's diary. Imagine like an overlong rambling entry about his insecurities that he would like never become famous and you could totally see him like... In in peak Morrissey drama mode, writing something out like Starshine will never find me. Sure. And that being kind of like a line worth saving.
1: I I could see Murdoch having that kind of unexpected poetry
2: in his soul. Or what's left of it at least.
0: Half a Bronson's cocktail deep, you know? Yeah.
2: In my earlier days of like having this album, I probably would have said this was my least favorite track. But by this point, I think what I was saying earlier about you know the the concept of this album sounding like it was, um, you know, just like a, a UFO reinterpreting human culture. This this might be the sure. ultimate example of that. Just an alien learning about you know dub or reggae or and just delivering their version of it because like it, it's just it's such it's such an odd spin on dub to me. Just the the whole approach of of the track is just one of the most bizarre moments on the album
1: it's definitely one of the like more out there cuts i think yeah for sure
0: yeah there's a lot going on in the in the damon performance too i mean you know it's all it all kind of washes together a little with that reverb but yeah there's definitely like details to be picked out in there
1: good one whether it ended up here or on g sides i'm certainly glad we have it do you guys want to move on
0: yeah i want to move on to slow country and then take a, a a breath to let trevor say what i'm imagining he's about to say That it's my number two on the record. Congratulations, Trevor, uh, in the handholding club with Dylan Flynn, who is now uh, on this most recent pass anyway. Uh, elevated Slow Country to my favorite song on this record. Nice. I love to see it. This is really
1: a great song. One that, again, like some of the other cuts on this record, I think is like one of the most underrated cuts in the Gorillaz catalog that has never really quite gotten its due. Although I like, maybe you could argue that it has considering it popped up at those like Damon Albarn live performances on that we got that live album out of it's so pretty it's, it's very just so pretty
0: so beautiful you know i found on on every listen that i've had to with this record this year this is the song that i feel like the last 20 years of my my history of a, of a as a gorillas fan kind of melt away and I just feel like I am 12 years old again, you know, listening to this on CD in my disc man. There's, it's so transportive to me. It's so beautiful. I love all of the elements. I love the extended uh, vamps that happen in between the the verses and the "Can't Stand Your Loneliness" hooks. And I mean, we talked about it on the last episode. It's worth talking about it again. The the vocal improv. Uh, vamp towards the end is like stunning stunning it's so lovely and it's even
1: better in the live versions like i highly recommend i think i even did this in the first review i highly recommend going and finding the uh demon detour version of this one because it is just like so exquisite like they really elevated this one live it's even better than it is on the album and it's super good on the album but when i sat down to try and figure out what i feel like this song is about I had like a particularly difficult time with this one. And I think like being the penultimate track on the album, it really feels like it occupies like a crucial space on the record. And I think that ultimately what Damon is doing here, like as impressionistically as he may be doing it, is exploring an emotional dilemma that I think really represents like a pivotal moment in his career. Mm-hmm. Like the first verse of this song seems to be about someone who's like being drawn to what Damon calls the city life, which has had what sounds like a pretty negative impact on them spiritually. As Damon puts it, me and my soul geared to attack. That's a really great lyric. And uh, you get the impression that like This person can see a way out, that there's a different path that they can take, but as the first verse concludes, they just can't quite do it. So they're left with this sense of isolation that they'll never be able to escape from unless they get over the fact that, like the second verse says, you won't get money from doing what you love. So they can finally kick their problems and get out of the city to pursue a second chance at something that'll actually make them happy. And I guess that's like what I view gorillas as being for Damon Alpern at this, at this point in his career. Oh,
0: totally, totally. It had
1: to have seemed like a risk to him considering how unorthodox the concept was. And it certainly would have been easier for him to just keep recording Blur album after Blur album and even easier for him to just put out a solo record under his own name. But instead of doing something easy like that, he took this like crazy risk on this thing that nobody had ever really done before and it turned out to be just what he needed. It was like An escape from a career that had unfortunately turned into like a job, and a new muse that could creatively reinvigorate him and take him to like a a new level of artistry that he had never really reached before.
0: Really feeling that. That makes a lot of sense to me.
1: Yeah, it really does feel like a super pivotal moment on this album. And I had never really been able to lock into why it really spoke to me so much, but. I, I, I don't know. I think it's a really great track and something very truly special in the Gorillaz
0: catalog. Tell me if this makes sense to you. Okay. Um, I want to take you back to a specific uh, moment in the Gorillaz story. I'm talking about 20 years and three months ago when the Ed case refix of Clint Eastwood popped on the UK charts went all the way to number two. All the kids were singing it. The band got thrown onto the press tour you know gigging and interviews and and city life and nightlife Murdoch and 2D both big partiers uh, but Russell being a little bit more reserved i imagine he would be the one volunteering to stay behind with noodle while the the over 18s enjoyed their time in over 18s spaces uh, and i and i have to imagine in those quiet moments you know, without the bluster of Murdoch and 2D to kind of draw the attention in the room, Russell started to really look at Noodle and kind of take note of what a lonely existence she was facing with no one there to communicate with. Sure. Uh, and that's those lines, can't stand your loneliness, really speak to that dynamic to me. I think this is kind of the 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 Russell and Noodle moment on this
1: record. The Russell and Noodle dynamic is has always been a great part of the, the Gorilla's story that
2: I feel like not a lot of people really hone in on as much as they should maybe this this is another one where uh i don't think like i i truly loved it until a bit later i I wrote this as an honorable mention after my top uh top three so it's it's basically my my number four at least on the uh on the record but that that special sample the uh ghost town sample like it's it's such an yeah it's just yeah, hypnotic. That that particular whatever that noise is just repeating is is, is very odd, and just uh, the the whole song is kind of odd because it's like Damon's kind of in that like honestly he's kind of in that no distance left to run mode. He's he's kind of at his core, just like you know can't stand the loneliness and the, that. I feel like I'm listening to just like somebody's bare nerves, you know. But the fact that it's like in a major key and it's like kind of a happy sounding song makes it. it just just a little off-putting in a a weird way it's a very very
1: vulnerable song and a very vulnerable damon performance i think yeah
0: yeah and there is something interesting and and deceptive throwing you off a little bit about just how major it is that especially that piano uh loop is kind of like almost a bubblegum element but the song itself reads so sad you know
1: very wistful great track though i'm so happy that it's like taken its spot as your favorite song on the album dylan that's very exciting for me
0: it was the, it was a big moment on the reapproach. i started thinking is this my favorite song on the self-title probably somewhere around january and it just continued to build uh i i spent a little while since we've done this but i think your favorite gorilla song is next trevor m1a1 <laughs>
1: are responsible these days for keeping track of the uh, running tally of all the times that I am forced to listen to M1A1 in service of this podcast, but we gotta we gotta update that number up in the right corner of the screen.
0: Any new takes this time around, Trevor?
1: No, I don't think I have too many new takes on how I feel about M1A1. I guess I probably, just through sheer like exposure therapy, I like it more than I used to, but unfortunately, this is just another song that I'm never going to enjoy as much as I enjoyed that human night back in 2018, when you and I saw the song performed live in a sweaty little bar in uh, in Chucktown by Bananas.
0: Although maybe maybe you'd want to give a close second to when they fucking space monkified it on the Now Now leg of the Humans Now Now tour. That was sick. I certainly didn't mind that either.
1: I always enjoy seeing the band play it live, but it is still one of my least favorite Gorillaz songs, and still. Pretty close to the bottom of this record for me,
0: unfortunately. Gorillas say want some. Yeah, yeah, they do. This one's dropped out of my top three. I still like it. Uh, It's the thing that I like least about it, I think, is mostly the stuff that you like least about it. The kind of pub rock rock star shit that's going on. I still love the build and that transition moment. I think they're both really powerful. But yeah, I mean, like the shortcomings of the song in terms of like, a piece of writing and like a somewhat cringy uh, rock star moment. I, I I can perceive them, certainly.
1: I'm sure you've been on the edge of your seat the entire episode waiting for me to tell you what I think this song is about, right? Please, please. I mean, over, over the course of the episode, I think I've done a pretty good job coming up with some really strong interpretations for most of the songs on this album. But the truth is, I think I would be doing both you and Jack and the listening audience a disservice and just kind of like Missing the point of M1A1 in general, if I told you that I thought this song was about anything other than gorillas having the bass drum and gorillas saying, What's <laughs> on?
0: Well, stand down, comrade, because we're going to get to the fucking bottom of this song right now. Finally. Where does the M1 motorway actually intersect with the A1 road? Where is the M1-A1 junction? Can either of you answer that question? I literally don't know. It is in Leeds. Leeds, the fourth largest city in Britain, and the seat of West Yorkshire County. And what is Leeds famous for? Getting the bass drum in one stuff.
1: No, that, uh, that, that... One really good live album by The Who. They recorded it there.
0: That's probably number three. But number one, the Prawn Cracker, a a shrimp-flavored crispy baked good made famous by Man's Market in Leeds City Center. That's number one. Can't fucking believe I didn't get that. And what else? What's number two? I'll tell you. It's the Kantian Phenomenologist philosopher Paul Crowther, born in Leeds and taught uh, at that university there too, University of Leeds. He's from Leeds. Yes. So M one wow. A one, aka Leeds, famous for a Paul and a cracker. A Paul. Oh my gosh. Oh my a cracker. Oh my gosh. Paula. Cracker, this song is about how 2D's heart was broken into a million pieces and can never be put back together. His his closest friend, Murdoch Nichols, betrayed him. He can trust no one. I rest my case.
1: Little, little Paula Cracker reference here at the end of this album. Yeah,
0: a little bit of a Paula Cracker Just reference. Just a little here. bit of a Paula Just cracker, a cracker, bit of a cracker
1: reference bit of a here. Cracker reference. Snuck into the lyrics of M1A1. <laughs> Gosh, I gotta—I really gotta commend you on that kind of detective work, Don. I thought I had really dug into this album, but you, as always, you've gone above and beyond.
0: Well, you know, I got
2: to do my research. You know me. Being a uh, U.S. resident, you know, getting this album for the first time, I, I was unaware that this was actually the closer of the album for a good—I don't—I don't even know how many years. Probably, probably, five, you know, four years or so until like you know they came back. So when I fa- when I found that out, it was a little weird. 'Cause it, it's kinda it's kind of an odd closer to me, but like as a as a song, uh, I don't know. I, I I enjoy it. It's not one of my favorites. I definitely don't have Trevor's uh, you know, one of the worst of all time type mentality. But uh it's just it's just kind of a it's it's kind of in the vein of like if if punk was drawn out twice as long, it'd be M1A one. Sometimes I'm I'm into that, sometimes the intro is just a little bit too long jack kind of standing
0: as the middle point between my effusion and your distaste i I
2: I will say it
0: does have one of my uh one of my moments moments. oh well that's that's a fucking good segue to get into it. should we get into the moments moments? we've made it through all the tracks let's talk about our three favorite Moments.
1: moments on the record
0: Uh, let's go in the order of the alphabet, beginning with me, then to Jack, then to Trevor. My number three on this record is, we talked about it, it's when all of the instruments drop out except for that weird organ in 5-4. You get that little vamp. I love that moment. It's great. That
1: is a great moment. I'm so glad that you chose it. Jack, what's your number three moment on this
2: record? So this is a this is a very specific thing. We love specific
0: in the moment section.
2: In in New Genius verse two, from the uh like that that he does it he does this very Oh yeah. Yeah, there's this very odd like multi tone thing that happens and it's just like gee it's just so odd but beautiful.
0: He does like almost a throat singing accidentally for yeah. a second there.
2: It's great. That's one that just like kind of catches me each time because like it's, it's, it's so odd and perfect, but it's, it's one of those things that like you, you, can't, you can't like plan, you know, it, it just happens and it, it's there.
0: Love it. Love it. Trevor, you're number three. My
2: third favorite moment on the Gorilla Self titled is The
1: Beginning of Punk, which was, of course, rendered immortal and one of my favorite sequences from Bananas.
0: Love it. Uh, my number two favorite moment on the record, I, it was kind of between this and a, and a similar moment on Man Research, but I felt like only one could leave the octagon. I'm going to go with Damon's whole run of ad-lib vocalizations at the end of Slow Country as my number two, with kind of like a, a an honorary tip-of-the-hat number two moment to the similar sequence toward the end of Man research.
1: I'm honestly surprised like quick spoiler for my number 2 and number 1. I don't have the outro of slow country in mind and I'm surprised by myself because that is easily like one of my favorite parts of the album.
0: It's a great moment.
2: Great moment. Jack number 2 basically just the the, the drums signal, signaling the actual intro to the to uh to M1A1 after the minute plus uh Day of the Dead, Dawn of the Dead intro.
0: Yeah, the drop. Yeah. Great moment.
2: I will say that my second favorite moment
1: on the album is the harpsichord solo during rehash, which kind of really feels like the first time the album tips its hand and gives you the idea of what you're in for.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. Very wonky,
1: very crazy.
0: You know what my number one moment on this record is? And and What's
1: your... What's your favorite moment on this album, Dylan?
0: It is the final seconds of this album. That last ringing guitar, kind of harmonic heavy chord at the end of M1A1 because it makes me feel like the lobby of phase one PhaseOneGorillas.com Kong Studios has just finished loading. The intro is over. I get that bing, into jumped into the lobby. It's just, oh, it's pure nostalgia. Love Feels it. like you've been dumped
1: right into the gorilla's world. I will say, this is going to sound like maybe a bit of a backhanded compliment, considering how I'm on the book about feeling regarding M1A1. But my favorite part of the song is also probably the end of it.
0: It's got a good ring to it. They really, it's it's, it's got, a got a really good, good sound. Yeah, yeah, a jam that kind of
1: organically finished, you know? It's a good moment, good moment. Jack, what is your favorite moment on the Gorilla self-titled? Favorite moment.
2: For for this I'm kind of torn like it, it's it's the same track, but I'm kind of torn between either saying when the when the bass guitar and piano come in on Tomorrow Comes Today or just that that final little um, Moment of that song where the bass is kind of like winding down in this in this odd way. The bass
1: ending of Tomorrow Comes Today is a really great moment. I love that that song might have like my favorite bass on the album in it. I just really love the way the bass sounds in that song,
0: and it segues so great into New Genius too,
2: for sure. I think I just got to go with with the bass and piano actually coming into the same time because like that. Like you've already got the drums going on, and like when when both of those elements come in at once, uh, for me it's just like a, a near overload. It's
0: a it's a great moment. It's a great moment, Jack. If you want to if you want to twist your 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 ear around a little bit, blow your hair back a little bit, go listen to the uh, Tomorrow Comes Today version that is on Automator's Gorillas ish mix from that weird magazine that it was issued with. It's its bass intro winds down instead of up, like on the album version. Very weird. I've never quite understood why it's slightly different.
1: It's a deep pull. That's some real nerd shit. Real like nerd it.
0: shit. Yeah. Uh, you're number one. I gotta hear it, Trevor. I'm dying to hear it. My favorite moment
1: on the Gorilla self-titled album would have to be This is a Breakfast Club! <laughs> Like, there's nothing that even comes close. I still remember the first time I even heard it. I, like, had just, I remember I was sitting in my, my bedroom as a young teen. I was listening to the Gorilla Self-Titled, I think, like, in my, like, like, on a CD Walkman or something. Sick. And I had just listened to Clint Eastwood for the first time in my life, thinking, wow, that was amazing. They've really got to do something crazy to, like, immediately follow that up. What's it going to be? And then I heard that, and I was just like, I, I knew, even if I had seen the best of what this band had to offer, I knew that there was still plenty in store for me. And like over the course of all the time that's happened since then, there definitely has been. This band has really never stopped giving.
0: Their cup runneth over with joy and memories, and it all started here. It all started 20 years ago. Fucking wild that this band is 20 years old. Uh, we're all going to die someday. Time stops for no man. So much fun hanging out with a couple of my favorite old-ass gorillas fans to talk about this record again. This
1: was a total blast. Yeah, I had a great time. Jack, thanks so much for coming on the show and talking about this album with us. I'm
2: so glad we could finally do it because, like, uh, Dylan proposed this to me. I think like two years ago.
0: <laughs> yeah, welcome to Hell, you Monkeys. Yeah, this has been like a long time coming. I was
2: I was so excited when he when he told me about it, and then like you know, it's like a, it's like a year later. I'm like, okay, I, I I don't think they're doing it.
0: To quote a gorillas versus logosism, the future that never came, but it did come.
1: Tomorrow really did come
0: today. Uh, I would love to turn the people onto some of your non gorillas music as well you have a great uh pro- ongoing project called organization and I think you've got some new stuff coming out under that moniker
2: soon yeah yeah tomorrow slash uh, a week ago by I guess by the time people uh, the uh, the people hear this it's it's called inauguration it's it's not as political as that name would lead you to believe and yet uh it'll be basically wherever you, you like to listen to music.
0: I think it's going to be all about fighting Joe Biden. Oh, yeah. We finally got a gamer in the White House, you guys. It happened. A Luigi main, no less. Yeah, Luigi main in in cart. That's
1: fucking wild. Dylan, do you want to tell people where they can find us online so that we can start to wrap things
0: up? Of course. I would love you to check us out on uh, Twitter, at GorillazFanCast, or you can Gmail us, uh, that, of course, is, well, you can also email us from your AOL address. You don't have to specifically Gmail us, but our our address is uh, hallelujahmonkeys at gmail.com, of course. Uh, and join our Discord, Discord uh, dot me slash monkeys with a Z. Uh, or you can follow my co-host on Twitter at Trevor Ickrath, but with no vowels, T-R-V-R-K-R-T-H. And you can follow my co-host
1: on Twitter at Dylan Flynn, just his entire name spelled out.
0: Uh, Jack. I want to leave with one of your classic Phase One era or sourced gorillas versus log S cut. Which of those cuts do you feel think has a good like show ending feeling to it? Maybe Dream on the Street. That's a great one. Fucking love that one. We'll go out on that, and we
1: will be back really soon to talk about. We are 10. Wink, wink.
0: But until uh, until that time, uh, I am 33, and I am Dylan Flynn. I'm Trevor Hickrath. I'm Jack Morrison. And until next
1: time, don't get lost in heaven.
0: Demo! Stop trying to control everything and just
2: let go. go.